I, I'm excited today uh, to have Phil Temp with us to hear from him. A few weeks ago, we were in Sunday school class, and Trace shared with me uh, part of his testimony and the opportunity to hear him share. And I thought, boy, that's something I need, and that's something we need to hear. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, verse 4, that the one who is born of God is victorious over the world. And this is the victory, our faith. By trusting in him, we find victory. Um, I thought about Sarah when she got in the struggle with her servant, her female woman servant, and um, she sent her out into the desert and said that an angel came to her and rescued her. And she said, you are the God who sees me. And as Phil comes, I want us to remember, he is still the God who sees you. He knows where you are, and he loves you right there. Let's have a word of prayer and I ask Phil to come. Lord, here we are. You see us right where we are, and you love us right where we are. And Father, we desperately need to hear from you. I thank you for your servant willing to come and to talk about your goodness, Lord. And may my ears be open to the word. And may all of us hear, really hear, Lord, what you have to say to us. And my plea is that we would simply respond as you tug at our hearts accordingly. Master, speak. And we as your servants, may we listen. In your name we pray. Amen. Come bless us, Phil. Well, I'll tell you that this is one of the friendliest, most hospitable churches I've ever attended. Uh, this is amazing, the the picture, the outreach to heaven. Uh, Jesus is going to bring some rain through the delivery of my silver linings um, message this morning. Um, but that's good because it's going to allow us to reach down deep into our hearts um, and connect with him a little bit closer. So, good morning. Uh, quick background check on who I am. I'm Phil Temp, age 54, a child of God, uh, a Wisconsin native, so root for my Packers today. Uh, Virginia resident, a graduate of Washington and Lee University, a husband to a high school sweetheart, Cindy Prince Temp, uh, for the past 32 years now, uh, father of three amazing children, Beth, Katie, and Joseph. I'm a writer, a journalist from years past. I'm now the senior vice president of the Corporate Image. It's a public relations firm in Bristol. I'm also an executive or the executive director of a Disabilities Foundation you will hear about. I'm also board president of the YMCA, uh, an elder at Central Presbyterian Church in Bristol, Virginia, and that pretty much covers things. So we're going to talk this morning about life and life after life. And because I've been kind of an exclamation mark kind of guy throughout life, I think we need to punctuate how we live and what we live for. And I'm going to do that with each point I make this morning. So we're going to walk through a series of silver linings that give life its profound purpose and meaning this morning. Now, you know what a silver lining is. It's defined as a sign of hope in an unfortunate or gloomy situation. A bright prospect. And here's how I view silver linings. You've seen the dark clouds in the sky, the dark menacing clouds that overwhelm us, that kind of sometimes take away our tomorrow because they block out that brilliant sunshine, that warmth, and that that good feeling. Those black clouds, though, often are rimmed with that beautiful lining of the sun coming out from behind it. And then every once in a while, in the middle of that menacing cloud, it opens up, allowing rays to reach from sky to earth. And does that speak to you when that happens? I'll never forget the morning that my father-in-law and I were driving down um, Island Road, and we were going by the big white cross, and I looked up, And it was amazing the way the black clouds, really dangerous-looking clouds, had opened up, and the rays were reaching down to me. That was speaking heaven to me. 
And that's what those rays often do. So this morning, I want to share my lifetime of silver linings with you. And I want to make my journey come to life for you so that you understand why I am rejoicing in life right now. Okay, so let's go back just a couple of years to when I'm 22 years old. I'm marrying my high school sweetheart, Cindy Temp. It's 1979. We've just graduated from college. She from Virginia Tech. I graduated from Washington Lee. And we are swinging the world around by the tail. We believe that we are in control of all the good that's happening in life. And God is somewhere off to the side over here, present but not completely accounted for. We're a young couple. I'm a journalist, uh, a reporter for the Daily Press and Newport News, bringing in $10,000 a year. And my wife is a social worker in Hampton, Virginia, bringing in $10,000 a year. And nothing could be brighter in our lives. And so a couple of years later, we decided to start our family at age 25 and enter Elizabeth Nicole Temp. We call her Beth. She's with us, of course, this morning. And with Beth comes trauma, adversity, harrowing circumstances, ice-cold doctor's offices, frightening diagnoses, and enormous lifelong challenges. Our climb up Mount Everest was most difficult, to say the least. It was mind-numbing, frustrating, stunning, and unexpected. My wife had a beautiful, perfect pregnancy. Did not expect to have a disaster of medical difficulties facing us at age 25. The black cloud that suddenly overwhelmed us and our world was called Rett Syndrome, although we would not get that diagnosis until Beth was 14 years of age. It was a crushing combination of disabling problems thrown at our infant daughter. She loses the ability to talk at a very early age. In fact, the only real meaningful word she ever said was mama. It's a good one. She loses her motor skills at a very early age. She's got problems with the bones in her feet that require surgery at seven months of age. By then, she's already hit with grand mal seizures at age three months. And then her head at six months of age really begins to fall off the growth chart. And for us, we knew that that meant developmental delays and possible intellectual disabilities. And we were then facing a lifetime of challenges. In 1991, when Beth is nine years old, we nearly lose her to pneumonia, a horrible case of thrush, which forced her to stop eating for eight months. We had to have a feeding tube placed in her stomach to medicate her, feed her, and keep her alive. She's hospitalized for four weeks at that time, and we've had to talk life and death decisions with the medical staff. A few years later, Scoliosis begins twisting Beth's spine, and by age 15, she has to have major surgery, rods and wires and screws up and down her spine to make sure that she can sit upright and breathe so that she won't experience too many respiratory issues, too much pneumonia. The seizures, they never dissipate. In fact, they get worse. She's had thousands of grand mal seizures in her 29 years of life. She's on a medication oftentimes, that fogs her days to some extent. She eventually gets a little vagus nerve stimulator and a little pacemaker to the brain, which is tied to the vagus nerve coming down from the brain to try to bring down seizure activity. And her hands, she's holding them tightly this morning. This is Rett syndrome. Hard to pull them apart, and therefore she doesn't have very functional use of her hands. And so I imagine right now you're, you're thinking of your own children or you kids are thinking of yourselves and going, wow, my heart's pretty heavy. Ours certainly was. How could we ever recover from this onslaught of continuous disability? As a young kid growing up in Wisconsin, I'd had my share of personal tragedy. I lost my best friend in a bicycle car accident when I was nine years old. Happened to be my 11-year-old brother, Luke. And then my father, five years later, dropped dead of a heart attack at age 46. Dad had moved us in 1969 from Wisconsin to Wise County. He had a missionary mentality, my dad did. He wanted to practice medicine in impoverished Appalachia. Little did we know where we were moving to Virginia. As we came down through eastern Kentucky, we were crying our eyes out. 
Oh, my goodness, Dad, where are you taking us? What did we do wrong? But then I meet people like you this morning, and I go, that reconfirms why I married a Wise County lady, and I've been with her for 32 years, and she's been the most important person in my life. You people are fantastic. But I lose my dad, and I lose my brother at early ages. And then I get Beth in life. And I ask the question, is life, God, just a series of sorrowful events as we watch our own family members die early unexpected deaths or watch our own children struggle against enormous odds to accomplish what in life? Where's the silver lining? Facing all of this, how in the world could we ever arrive at today? January 2012, faith brings us to what Cindy and I eventually experienced during Easter week of 1986 in Charlottesville, Virginia. A real turnaround in my ability to deal with Beth in a positive way, to look at her not as a burden, but as a bountiful blessing in my life. So what happened that week in Charlottesville at the Children's Rehab Center? during Easter week of 1986. Well, we took Beth there for a one-week evaluation. Doctors, therapists, and educators would examine her and try to determine what the future held for her. It was a tough week. Beth's hands together, nonverbal. They sat her down and asked her to pick that block up and put it in that bucket. And this little 35-pound little lady with her legs crossed Indian style would bob and weave over that bucket and that block and not be able to pick it up and put it in the bucket, and so she failed test after test that week. And on Holy Thursday of 1986, we got our death sentence. The the medical staff sat down with us and said, your daughter is severely mentally deficient with an IQ of 25. Have a good life. Well, being the nice folks that we are, we thanked them for the week's evaluation, and then we took the longest loneliest walk of our lives down the hallway from that experience, clinging to one another and to our daughter Beth and not really seeing that there was a tomorrow. The night was so bleak. We saw no rays of light. I don't remember closing my eyes at all as I pondered how bleak the future seemed to be as I held on to Cindy and held on to Beth In the early morning hours of Good Friday of 1986, I strapped on my running shoes, Tracy, and I took off for a 10-mile run down some back roads of Charlottesville. And I began to pray extraordinarily hard. I cried as I ran, and I prayed as I ran. I threw things up to God in a real serious and sincere way. And I said, God, how... If you have given us this challenge, how am I going to handle it? What can I do to get through this? How can my wife and I deal with this disaster we're facing? And I think he sensed my urgency in needing an answer right then and there because it came to me during this run. He looked down and he said, Phil, you need to trust me. You need to trust me that I'm going to care for you, not just today, but for the rest of your life. And things will be okay. I learned during the course of that 10-mile run that I needed to allow God to intervene in every single moment of my life if I was to remain strong and be able to live and grow in his faith. Silver lining. He picked me up and carried me. The two sets of footprints became one. And he has carried me ever since. Because it is my perspective now with my faith in God that has allowed me to grow Beth's life with my wife and my children to something pretty phenomenal. Beth turned from burden to bountiful blessing at that moment. The years since then have been rich and rewarding for us and for her. Years of insight into what life is all about. Years of following God's lead 
accepting patience, learning to live just day by day, not getting out ahead of him so that I fall into anguish and despair, persisting in bringing quality of life to every aspect of Beth's life. Silver lining, March 18th, 1993. Do you remember where you were on that day? Probably not. I do. I was at Van Pelt Elementary School, standing behind my daughter, Beth. A speech communication specialist named Mickey Vanderwerker arrived at Van Pelt Elementary School to see if Beth would communicate possibly through a form of communication called facilitated communication, where an assistant would separate her hands, which were like this, and try to allow her to effectively point to some kind of communication board in front of her. Now, the idea was based on trust and confidence that Beth would know that she was somewhere in space with a little pointer on her finger and could go to a color chart of red, green, yellow, and blue. So Mickey said, what I'm going to do, Phil, is I'm going to put pressure in her hand, and then if she starts to go forward after I ask her this question, I'm going to release all pressure off her hand and see if she can go to the board effectively. I stepped back a little bit, took a deep breath. No meaningful form of communication for Beth at this time, and she was 11 years old. IQ 25, severely mentally deficient. Beth, do you know where red is? She shot her little hand forward and pointed to the red marker and then to green and blue and yellow all correctly. Okay. Mickey, what's going on? And Mickey said she's going very definitively, very strong to the board. She said, I'm going to challenge her a little bit more. And she brought up a letter board with letters of the alphabet, A through Z, yes and a no on opposite sides. And she said, I want Beth to tell me if she knows how to spell her name. And so Beth's little finger shot forward. And I sort of took a step back as she pointed to B and then E, T, H. Then she went to I. And Mickey later told me, I thought she was going to maybe go to an E next because at that time we called her Bethy. But she didn't go to an E next. She went to an A and then an M. Everybody with me here? We've got B-E-T-H-I-A-M. And she closed her message out with S-M-A-R-T. And I was overwhelmed. Doubting Thomas here, telling Mickey Vanderwerker, we don't need a Ouija queen coming into our lives and knocking the props out from under us unexpectedly because we have spent the last 11 years of life coping with the child we were told we had. What's going on? She said, Phil, I'm going to tell you, she's, she's, she's knocking this out. She's, she's hitting home runs right now. I said, can I sit down and communicate with her? She said, absolutely. So I took Beth's hand in mine and I said, Bethy, who's the president of the United States? She began to jump forward with her hand. I let it go, and she spelled out C-L-I-N-T-O-N. It was 1993. Who's his wife? She spelled H-I-L, left the second L out, A-R-Y. We asked her if there was anything she wanted to say about her younger sister, three years younger, Katie. And she spelled, finally, Katie really has a sister. How beautiful is that? Her one-on-one teaching assistant, Peggy Dowdy, was overcome with emotion, as most of us were. And Peggy had to leave the room, just so saddened by the fact that Beth had lived 11 years of her life without any meaningful form of communication. And so we asked her if there was anything she wanted to say to Peggy. And she spelled, don't worry about past, future. Let's move it forward. What a lesson for us in life. It's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm reading a book by Jeff McCord. He's a, a, a um, Kingsport author. I don't know if any of you have read Awkward Grace. But I saw yesterday, I was reading part of the book, and he had a question in there for us, for us all today. Do we allow life to get in the way of God? Or do we allow God to get in the way of life? Ponder that one as we go forward with our message here. 
emerging from this life with Beth, another silver lining, the formation of the Beth Foundation in 1998. My wife and I decided, you know, we see so many young families falling apart because their children get difficult diagnoses. Cindy is a preschool special needs teacher, works at High Point Elementary School, has worked with special needs kids for the last 25 years, preschool age, three to five, turning their lives in a, in a positive direction. And knowing this, we had to do something for families of children with rare or severe disabilities. So we set up the Beth Foundation in 1998 and have helped dozens and dozens of families across the country with their situations. Beautiful silver lining. Classmates of Beth's at schools in Raleigh, North Carolina, where we lived for seven years as I worked for Sprint at that time, and again back here in Bristol and Abingdon, amazing classmates of Beth. She was awarded the uh, Spotlight on Students Award for overachieving at Underwood Elementary School as a fifth grader in Raleigh. And when she received her award, she put it in her lap, and she clapped appropriately for all the other students that received their awards from the other schools in the Raleigh-Wake Forest or Wake County school system that night. She separated her hands and clapped for all the other students. Very powerful. Her teacher wrote a beautiful essay about the value that Beth had in that classroom. And as an excerpt, she, she said, Beth has taught us how to value diversity, be a caring community, work hard at incredibly difficult tasks, and how to truly love one another. And I'm thinking, my daughter taught those kinds of values to her classmates? How powerful is that? Oh, if all of our children could teach those kinds of values, what a beautiful world we would live in. Beth graduated from Abingdon High School on June 5, 2004, to a standing ovation. There were eight of her classmates that fought hard to be able to escort her to the front of the football field to get her diploma. Her classmates voted her most respected in her high school class, and they voted her best chorus member. Pretty powerful impact, wouldn't you say? But little did these kids know that there was something else going on in this world that we had to wait for. I mentioned patience earlier. A company in Sweden named Toby, T-O-B-I-I, was establishing or developing an eye gaze system that would allow someone who could not speak and who couldn't use their hands effectively and separate them because it becomes pretty anxiety-inducing for Beth to try to force her hands apart to be able to communicate using her eyes. A year ago, Beth had a chance to get in front of a Toby eye gaze system for the first time. And we customized boards that allowed her to choose what she wanted to eat for breakfast, what she wanted to do during the day, how she wanted to spend her day, where she wanted to go, to the Y to swim, to the mall to shop, to go to the park and go for a walk, to read a book, to listen to music. And if she wanted to listen to music, what genre? And if she chose country, which she usually chooses, who do you want to listen to? Rascal Flats, Sugarland, Shania Twain. By the way, she met Shania Twain back in 1998. Got to meet her backstage. Powerful story. Told her with a communication uh, Big Mac switch. She separated her hands and hit that switch to tell her, Shania, this is a dream come true for me and I love you. Great stuff happening. Silver linings exploding in Beth's life. And so last Christmas, she got her Toby eye gaze system and is able to communicate with us now in a very powerful and meaningful way. So she's now 29, and her life has never been more exciting, more promising, more rewarding, more fulfilling, not just for her, oh, but for us. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, we read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That sounds good. After three critical, intense decades of life with Beth, I have hope and a future. I've made the appropriate adjustments. I'm living strong, silver lining. Beth's life has brought power and relevance and purpose to my life. My life with Beth taught me that my approach had to involve God. I had to allow him to intervene 
in every moment of my life so that I would not get out ahead of him, as I mentioned earlier, and fall into desperation and despair. And so we head into 2011, Cindy and I do, riding a high on life. I think we have earned our or met our deductible on the amount of pain that life can bring, or so we thought. Not so. I was visiting my sister Helen and my mom down in Florida in May of this past year. And I just finished a three-mile run, felt a little awkward, a little odd with my steps, my foot strikes, and I'm a long-time runner. And then I tried to stay up with my sister Helen in her power walk after I finished my run, and I was having a little trouble doing that. And she said, Phil, you seem like you're struggling a little bit to keep up with me. And I said, yes, I am. Things feel awkward. I got back home, explained to my wife what was going on. Cindy said, we need to get you in touch with Marty and Steve, her two oldest brothers, great physicians. They jumped on this, said we're concerned about what's going on here. And so they got me down to a neuromuscular neurologist down in Knoxville. July 11th, an EMG, a nerve conduction test, to test what's happening with my nerves and muscles. And the term amyotrophic lateral sclerosis then became an emerging diagnosis in my life. ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, terminal illness, no cause, no cure. It's taking my muscle strength. We've got to find a cause and a cure. We're working awfully hard to do that. And I'm tied to Jesus calling, my devotional each and every day, how I stay connected with him to work this in a very positive way. You know Lou Gehrig or of Lou Gehrig, uh, Yankee baseball great, endurance kind of guy who played 2,130 consecutive Major League Baseball games without a break. And then in late 1938, he began experiencing some muscle weakening. He wasn't hitting as many home runs in Yankee Stadium. He was not being able to run as fast from first to second base. And in early 1939, as the season got ready to start, he pulled himself from the Yankee lineup, knowing that he could not help the team any longer. And on July 4th, 1939, he delivered that amazing speech, I am the luckiest man on the face of this earth. That's the way I feel today. Why? I'm connected to God. I have a relationship. And I understand what life after life is going to bring us. I'm an endurance kind of guy like Lou Gehrig in that I've run over 40,000 miles in life. And I'm going to brag on myself just a little bit. I'm a six-time marathoner, three-time qualifier for the Boston Marathon. I ran a two-hour, 41-minute, 25-second marathon in the Columbus, Ohio Marathon some years ago. That's about six minutes and 10 seconds a mile. I could move it. And I was very proud of that. Dozens and dozens of 5Ks and 10Ks and biathlons and triathlons, swimming, biking, running. I loved it. It was life for me. And I'm not able to do that any longer. So this came as a real shock for someone who loved and cared about fitness in life. I truly want to make something good and God positive from all of this. In my closest moments with God, since this diagnosis, I realize I have an opportunity. He's knocked on my door and said, will you draw my children closer to me? Absolutely. I'm ready. I've learned to pull back on what I want and allow me to walk the path of what God wants. And suddenly, silver linings have exploded in my life. They have brought the circumstances of life to a point of reality. Silver linings, Cindy and I are driving back from Knoxville. And in all of our emotion... She delivers the most powerful statement I have ever heard in my life. She said, Phil, we've been married 32 years. And I don't know that I could ever have felt the depth of love that I feel for you right now 
if not for this terrible news. And we realized right then that we were living life at about 80%. Folks, there's a lot more headroom to go in your relationships in life with your friends, your loved ones, your spouses, your family members. We ratcheted very quickly this this thing of called life up to 110%, and we've kept it there. An amazing discovery because of this illness. Silver lining, Phyllis and John Prince, my mother and father-in-law, who have been incredibly powerful forces in life. In fact, years and years ago, when our daughter Beth was an infant, and we lived in Hampton, Virginia, we would sink into the corner of a room in our house and cry together not understanding why so much pain and suffering so early in life with our infant daughter, Beth. And then late at night, I would get on the phone and call my in-laws back in Wise County, nine hours away, and simply tell them, we need you once again. And nine hours later, without asking a question, they would arrive at our doorstep for that important and powerful embrace and words of encouragement that together we could make this happen. We can move it forward. We can survive this challenge in life, this trauma. And so we have. John, still practicing dentistry at age 84. Guy told us last night, he said, I woke up the other night and thinking, I'm, I'm just about to turn 85. I don't know if I can handle that. He said, dude, you're still working. <laughs> What's going on? This guy calls me every single day. It is our connection, a promise. I will reach you every single day. And I don't care what I'm doing, where I am, what meeting I'm in, I'm taking that phone call. And my mom-in-law, Phyllis, a hug, an important hug each and every day I get from her. Two powerful silver linings. This summer, we were at Myrtle Beach. A week before I got this diagnosis, And we are enjoying the beach like no other. And Beth is showing us every day how much fun she's having at the beach. And she and I are taking an early morning walk in her big wheel buggy down the beach. And we come across a bed of seashells. And it just hits me. And I say, Beth, we're stopping here for a few minutes. And I'm going to scoop up 29 perfect unblemished seashells. Because that's your life to me. And so I do. I bring them back and I show Cindy and mom, Phyllis, and they love the idea. Well, two weeks later, they're down in Atlanta at Market. Cindy and her mom, in addition to her being a school teacher, own a store in the Bristol Mall, Phil's lower level, college stuff, toys, gifts, collectibles, visit it if you need to. And Phyllis is looking in this basket of pewter stuff, and Cindy notices that it says samples, samples. Okay, mom, you can't buy that stuff. She says, yeah, I have to. I've got seven seashells I want to give to Phil. I said, it, they're not for sale. She said, I'm going to get these seashells. And so the woman comes over and says, ma'am, uh, those aren't for sale. And Phyllis proceeds to tell her about my recent diagnosis. She gets emotional, this woman does, and says that her husband played for a college football coach who died of ALS. She said, you can take any number of shells you want. And so she handed me these seven shells a week later, Phyllis did, when they came back from market. And I kept one, and it's called Serenity. And I keep it with me every day of my life. And I turned around and I gave her one. And I gave John, my father-in-law, one. And, of course, my wife, daughter Beth, daughter Katie, son Joseph, all six And that's what connects us. Beautiful silver lining. Another silver lining daughter, Katie, who is bright enough to earn a full tuition scholarship to Columbia University in New York City to get her master's degree in occupational therapy. Katie would work for four years in the New York City school system to pay back that service scholarship. And she just started in February of last year working in the Brooklyn school system with special needs children after she graduated. Four years to pay back that scholarship. I get this diagnosis in July. She picks up the phone and says, Mom, Dad, I'm coming home. I need to be there with you. She's back here with us. 
helping me out each and every day. Helping her sister Beth out with occupational therapy needs. A beautiful contributor to our lives. She's here with us today too. Moved back to Abingdon and works in the Wise County School System now as their occupational therapist. Silver lining, son Joseph. Three days after I got my diagnosis on July 11th, Joseph and I fly out of the Tri-Cities to Minneapolis. We are heading out for a six-day, what we call the Great Summer Ballpark Tour of 2011. In March of this past year, Joseph set up this trip for us to take. What timing? Is it providential? We take off, fly to Minneapolis, We see the Twins and Royals play, visit my hometown of Hudson, Wisconsin, and then head down to Chicago to Wrigley, where we see the Cubs play over to the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati to watch the Reds and the the St. Louis Cardinals up to Comerica in Detroit, Tigers, White Sox, down to Pittsburgh to see the Pirates and Reds, and then over to Camden Yards in Baltimore to wrap up our six-day, six-ballpark visit. Powerful, powerful father-son relationship we have and what a bonding experience that was silver lining band of brothers my brothers-in-law five of them marty steve philip bill and jeff prince marty and steve phenomenal physicians got me medical care right away they're following this thing closely they're making sure that i'm cared for Steve and I used to play tennis when he was in medical school at the Eastern Virginia Medical School over up in uh, uh, Norfolk when I was in Newport News working as a reporter there. And we used to beat each other's brains out on the tennis courts on weekends. And then, of course, we raise our families and we kind of separate and go our own ways. But we've come back together now. Powerful relationship. I can share everything I need to with Steve now. Bill, president of Burwell. He got the big generosity gene from his mom and dad. Brought Katie home, moved her home back here to southwest Virginia on a whim. They've given he and his wife, Gina, so much to the Beth Foundation to help us uh, help other families and children with disabilities. Philip, my former running partner, he and I used to race against each other and cycle against each other for years and years, miles and miles. And we used to compete in races. He'd win one, then I'd win one, and he'd win one, then I'd win one. Philip texts me, don't give up. Never give up. And then Jeff, who is at Emory University, he immediately got me to the ALS Center at Emory to make sure that I could be cared for immediately. Visits in August and December, still solid, still holding my own. Positive, beautiful people. Beautiful people affecting my life. And so silver linings, of course, having exploded. My sisters, Ann, Sarah, Helen, and Gemma, in touch with me constantly, text messages, emails, gifts of love. We've established Team Tim to raise as much money as we can for ALS research and Interestingly, I have my basket of hope here. And in this basket are Team Temp bands. If you'd like to contribute to ALS research, every dollar, every dime, every nickel dropped into this basket, we can have it back here on your way out. And we also have established a silver lining sermon captured with songs as well. Um, If you're interested, $10.00. Drop it in the basket. Take a silver lining CD if you want to share it with someone. Please feel free to do so. But our team, Tim, uh, team had more than 60 walkers this past September at the Walk to Defeat ALS in Kingsport, uh, the Tri-Cities chapter, and uh, raised over $5,000. That day, the walk raised over $101,000 to find a cause and a cure, not just for ALS, But we believe that when they find a cause and a cure for this this disease, we will also be moving along other nerve disorders like uh, Alzheimer's and muscular uh, multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease. So we have to work together to do that. 
There's also the final silver lining that I want to share with you this morning that I rejoice in every day, and it is my 27-year-old niece, Kristen's life. She has struggled half of her life and all of her adult life with a substance abuse problem. Kristen has tried and tried unsuccessfully many times to turn this life of despair and darkness around. And so on August 4th, with the help of her compassionate parents, she gets the opportunity to go to a drug rehab facility, a very good one in Mill Spring, North Carolina. My diagnosis was an opportunity for me to write to her and encourage her. So I wrote her a survivalist letter paralleling our journeys and asking her to latch on to the real possibility of overcoming her drug addiction. And this is what I wrote. Dear Kristen, August 17th, 2011. I hope you are experiencing some amazing things today down in Western North Carolina. I pray that you see the vision of a beautiful and safe life in your future with two gorgeous children requiring you to lead and guide them to a beautiful and purpose-filled life. I believe today that you have reached that place of complete responsibility. I am confident that you have found serenity in your heart to push aside the temptations of life that have taken you away from the real beauty of life. Your parents, your three sisters and brother, your rambunctious little five-year-old Jonathan, and that adorable little infant baby Josie whom I love dearly. Her little Josie was five months old when she headed down to Western North Carolina. I said, I am rooting for you from the top of my lungs, Kristen. I need you to know that facing a terminal illness like Lou Gehrig's disease is something I could crumble from, turn my back on my family, and dissolve into a pile of rubble. I could easily give up my job and my passion for living. I could sink into the corner of a room and cry all day. I could be angry and ugly and unapproachable. But that's not me. And that's not what I'm choosing to do. I'm keying on the concepts of courage and serenity and hope and love. I'm seeing that the silver lining in this dark cloud is growing wider and wider. And pretty soon, Kristen, it will take over the dark cloud completely and show us that there is joy and celebration in every aspect of life. Here's the deal. You have the chance to accomplish an incredible turnaround in life that few people face. And after you succeed, your pride in what you've done will be off charts and everyone will look at you as a superhero someone with tremendous will and resolve to beat down anything in life you can do this and i believe you are on your way to a victorious future i love you Kristen. uncle phil she received this letter on friday august 19th and she read it five times and she called her dad and she told him she said dad i have had a spiritual awakening from this letter, a sensory explosion from head to toe. She said, my Uncle Phil was fighting for his life, and I am throwing mine away, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Dad, she said, my Uncle Phil has saved my life. Three weeks later, on 9-11, I'm visiting Kristen in North Carolina because she called me there. She wanted me to spend the afternoon with her. And it was one of the most powerful three hours of life I have ever spent. As she tells me with all the excitement and joy she can muster that she is a new spiritual being, confident and secure in herself and in her newfound relationship with God. Kristen has moved her life so far forward, I almost can't believe it. She is back here in the community, living, taking care of her kids, staying connected with those who have helped her gain this new life. She and I communicate with each other on a daily basis, sharing devotional, sharing prayers. We must stay focused. And I told her recently, no one can pull you down, Kristen. No one ever will. You know the temptations are so, so strong with drug addiction. You are God's precious child who is ready to learn, grow, and understand your beautiful purpose in this world. I am here now and forever to be your friend, to encourage you to stand not behind or in front of you, but beside you all the way to victory. I love you and confirm my commitment to your new resurrected life. Folks, in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17, we read, Though outwardly 
We are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That verse puts earthly trials like Beth's and Kristen's and mine in perfect perspective. No matter how severe the affliction or how long it lasts, when we look back from eternity, it will only be a bump on the road home. In the special life where Mount Everest seems to be always out in front of me, I have gained a perspective that the greatest silver lining of all is allowing God to intervene in my every moment of every day of my life because the black cloud has completely disappeared from my life. I know that if I rely on him to guide my life the rest of the way rather than me try to determine my future, I will endure whatever I'm facing with an incredibly positive perspective. I am victorious in my relationship with God. It is vibrant. It is real. It is eternal. And I know that I will wind up in his arms. Amen. I'd like to close now with uh, Amazing Grace, if I could.
soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine, but God who called here below be forever I guess in the scene in Sydney one, he says yes to God, whatever that is. Take off my marching. Inviting you today. Praise. We uh, want to put that basket in the back.